KickPod acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong peoples of the East Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the KickPod, your weekly DNM on the stuff that matters. One, two, three, four. Hello there. Hello there. We were both just staring at each other waiting for one of us to say hello. And sorry if we <laughs> sound lost. a bit funny like we've been crying, but it's because we were crying. <laughs> we've been happy crying. We just finished this interview for this podcast and I'm going to say I think it was my favourite episode was, we've ever done on the KickPod. I love every episode we've done, obviously. Yeah. I love all the guests, but this was this was just – I. I yeah, I still don't I believe it actually happened. Almost the whole time, just in gratitude. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot. It was wonderful. And we're very, very, very excited to share it with you. I just I can't even know what I did this week because all I can think about is what we just spoke about with this week's guest, Lisa Wilkinson. And I'm also so excited to be able to go and so this a recommendation for this episode. Don't listen while you're, listen while you're driving, but then re-listen when you're at home yeah. and you've got a pen and paper because I the one thing when we record is because the microphones pick up everything, we can't write down. But I cannot wait to re-listen to that and write down every single piece of advice that Lisa Wilkinson gave in that interview so generously. It was just so good. I just don't. <laughs> we I've like forgotten anything what, else what we have to talk yeah. about. What do we do now? <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. How are you? Obviously, we are beaming right now, but prior to the wonderful conversation we just had with Lisa, how are you? How have you been? How have I been? That's yeah. such a weird question yeah. for you to ask me. How have I been? I ask you every, every you episode. Been? It you reminds me always of, make um, it weird. <laughs> I do. I do always make it weird. Um, I am wonderful. Thank you very much. That's good. There's a lot going on at in Kick World Land, which is all very Kick great. World Land. Kick World or Kick Land, whatever you want to call it. It's all, all very exciting. And I have got a lot of gratitude for how busy we are at the moment mm. and all the things that, that we're working on and, and with the team. That's how are great. you? How, sorry. How have you been? <laughs> I've been well. I've been good. I've been good. It's um, it was it. It has been busy. It's been exciting. I feel like I'm finally feeling on top of, w- not on top of work. I'm always like trying to play catch up, but like I just feel like I'm understanding things better. I'm really loving working with the team. We've got so many exciting things happen. Obviously, we're going to share the kick updates in a second. But I'm just I'm I'm in a really good mood and a good place. And Harvey's one. That's insane. This is actually Crazy. when you're listening to this episode. It is his birthday. And that is just crazy to me. I can't believe that I've been a mum for a year. I feel like you – so I got a memory mm. like a year ago. Or maybe you shared it. I didn't get it. <laughs> you shared it on your Instagram. It wasn't my memory, but I felt like it was mine. Okay. Um, a photo of you when you took a selfie in your bathroom mirror when you were about to go to the hospital. Oh, pregnant. Yeah, pregnant. yeah. yeah. And that to me – because it was one year ago, I was like, it feels like you were pregnant five years ago to yeah. me. Like, I can't imagine you without Harvey. Which so is so funny. it's probably gone quick to you, but to me, I cannot, I just feel like you've had him your whole life. It's funny because when I had Harvey, you also said, it just feels like you've been pregnant forever. Yeah. Like you just knew. This felt like a long time for me. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It, it is this weird feeling of like, oh my gosh, where did the time go? Like that year has flown. I can't believe he's won, but at the same time. I don't remember life without him. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. But he's a little angel. So happy birthday, Harvey. Mm. And now do you have a special share for this week or is the age of your son your special share? That's cool if it is. To be honest, my special share is that I <laughs> have still not been – I mean, actually, no, you know what? I finished – the show that I recommended last year, Wait, you last year, you last can't episode. Reuse no, I'm not reusing it. Show. I'm just saying when I recommended it last week, I was like halfway through, and I'm glad I recommended it because I finished it and I really did enjoy For anyone it. Anyone that didn't Anatomy listen of a scandal, Anatomy of a scandal. On anyone Netflix. that didn't listen last week, yeah, that's the one. So that was my recommendation last week, anyway, and I stand by it. But that is not my recommendation. I also finished it. I also did agree you? more. Yes, right? really good. I know the ending. I yeah, was like, that really is good. Amazing. Um, anyway, but no, so I actually do have another recommendation. It isn't actually in the app yet, but it is a recipe coming very soon to kick. It's Harvey's, like the base of his cake. And the reason why I'm, I'm saying that now is because ever since I was testing it at home and making it for his birthday, I've had so many DMs asking 
what recipe did you use? It is coming. And Exciting. when it is there, I will probably push it again. But I'm, I'm really excited to share it. It was, um, it was so special getting to share it with him um, on his birthday. And like everyone else loved it too. It's a cake that everyone will enjoy. Love it. Yeah. I loved it. Delicious cake. <laughs> so thank you for that. And I'm going to make it, but just for a cake at home. Yeah. It's a nice <laughs> tea many cake, birthdays. You know? Actually, Dalton's birthday is coming up in June. <laughs> uh, okay. So wait, do you want to ask your special me? Share? <laughs> Let's go straight into it. <laughs> so my special shares are very on to do with today's episode. Yeah. So the first one is Lisa's book, which I don't think I told you that I read. No. I don't know why I didn't because it made a very big impact on me and I absolutely loved reading it. That's right. It's been on my it's been on my list. I've got a bit of a booktopia list at the moment. Amazing. Yeah. You should press press, order. press purchase. Yes. Uh, and it is called It Wasn't Meant to Be Like This by Lisa Wilkinson. It is just so wonderful. There is so many incredible stories in there. Lisa's an amazing storyteller and so much incredible advice just mm. for especially for young women just navigating, you know, our careers and self-confidence and overcoming self-doubt and all of those things which if you then will well I'm assuming you are here because you're going to listen to today's episode I think by the end you'll absolutely also want to read it oh yeah it's just such a great book and then the other one is the witchery white shirt yeah so the witchery white shirt campaign with the OCRF is on now Lisa touches on it at the end of the episode um, and why it is such an important cause to her but it's something the OCRF is a incredible foundation that Steph and I worked with for a few years now we are very passionate about trying to find an early detection test for ovarian cancer and this year's white shirt is so stylish I've already worn it like five times I love it it's my new favorite wardrobe staple and I highly recommend because when you purchase it, 100% of proceeds go towards ovarian cancer research. So, yeah. Good one. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Kick updates <laughs> before we get into today's episode. Yes, we have got some great updates. So, obviously, it is Wednesday. Meditate in May began on Monday. We are very excited to build up our meditation habit together as a community. I am personally so excited about this challenge and I've been doing it. Um, But I'm just really excited that we even get to build out our meditation hub, our our bank of meditations, because I am someone who, when I get into a good routine of meditating, I can't get enough of it. And even if I only get to one meditation a week, it makes such an impact on whether it's that hour of stress or that day or that week. I just feel so much more grounded and calm and so if you've never tried meditating our new meditations that are dropping in app there's 16 of them for a week as part of the kind of scheduled challenge they are five to six minutes very short meditations we've all got five minutes in our day they are all guided so you know if you feel like i am really nervous to ever try meditation my mind will just wander that's totally normal but at least you can kind of come back to meg's voice and yeah everything that she says i actually got the job of listening over them before they went into the app and i felt so zen after listening to them all they are all new favorites of mine and i can't wait for you guys to all experience them so you can find the meditations in the homepage of your kick app or in the wellness hub but for more info you can follow the link in our show notes and there's a bit of a rundown on the whole challenge there i'm so excited to do it i need some zen Mm. in my mornings and five minutes is achievable and it's good i'm using this selfishly well i mean we can all use it selfishly as a habit starter yeah for being more what's the word regular with my meditation yeah good it is good yeah one more update we have got one more update something very exciting is coming soon to kick very 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 exciting i'm like jumping out of my chair for this and if you want to be the first to hear of this news all you need to do is make sure you've joined our incredible kick facebook community so if you're not sure what that is it is a private facebook community um, that you can join if you are a kick subscriber we've popped the link to join in our show notes It is such a beautiful space, really encouraging, beautiful, motivating space to be where you can ask questions about your health, fitness and everything else as well. And there's always people, people are making friends in there all the time, making connections if they move to new places. Anyway, so it's generally just a nice place to be, but we're also going to be, uh, yeah, sharing some very exciting news there first. So you'll be like... It's like a VIP kind of. I hate that word so Why? much. Why? Because everyone is equal. Yeah. I'm, yes. But <laughs> Sorry, it's I not like, equal because if you're in the community, you get to know first. If you're not it's in so it, true. you don't. Okay, so. but I think I don't like the VIP. I just like, 
um, what's another way we can say? Uh, special. 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 Okay. Very special if you're in there <laughs> and you'll get to, to hear the news that we are talking about. Exciting. First. And now for today's episode. Mm-hmm. So as we have already touched on today, we had the absolute pleasure of being able to interview and chat to Lisa Wilkinson. It is an incredible interview. Isn't like not our interviewing Lisa. No, she just Lisa spoke and just oh my god, is amazing. We actually we usually intro our guests before, but I was so overwhelmed by her what she's done in her <laughs> career and her life that I just said it in the interview. So <laughs> the the intro is in the interview. We hope you enjoy this. Yeah, not that she really needs one. I'm sure everyone listening will yes. know exactly who we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, enjoy, guys. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you guys know we had to record this episode a little bit differently to how we would normally. We had a few technical hiccups, but we were just too excited to get into the interview and it was just too good of an interview not to share. Um, So yes, apologies for the different quality to usual, but I'm sure you will still enjoy it. Lisa, welcome to the Kick Pod. We are so excited to have you. Thank you so much for even asking me. (laughs) you've been on our list of people to get on like our goal list for a very long time so we are very excited for this conversation and to start off with we wanted to ask you if you could write the copy for your intro aside from the fact that I mean your whole career and life and who who you are is just so inspirational I mean you were the youngest editor ever um, at a national magazine with Dolly at at 21 then obviously you uh, your work at Clio was incredible with I read um, in your bio that you with your Clio time over was it over a decade yeah it was just over 10 years you were the number one or you under your leadership the magazine became the number one women's lifestyle mag per capita in the world yeah I (laughs) pinch myself that um that we managed to get it to that point because you know there that one of the things I love about the magazines that I worked on throughout my career is that they were all Australian magazines Dolly Clio Australian Women's Weekly like they are the three stages of Australian womanhood seen through the pages of um, of magazines of the time. And the fact that they were all Australian made and every other magazine that we were up against came out of boardrooms in New York and London and every other editor got to pick and choose from all of the international editions and then throw in some Aussie content. But we were absolutely 100% Australian made. And that's what made getting to that number one position in the world, you know, so much sweeter. Oh, it's an incredible, incredible achievement. And then you went on to, I suppose, break more records with what you did on the Today Show by turning it around and making it the number one show in your first year, which is just incredible. And now, obviously, you are the co-host of the project and executive editor at 10 Daily. So you have just had an amazing career. But we wanted to ask you if you could write the copy for your intro. How would you describe yourself? A magazine junkie kid from the western (laughs) suburbs of Sydney who lucked out big time. (laughs) and that's exactly who I still feel like oh I love that I feel like using the term lucked out though it's like you truly deserve to be you know where you are and every success that you had you truly deserve from from your hard work and everything but it's still so I suppose humbling to hear you you speak like it's still such a shock to you even to this day but you know what I still I still count luck as a significant factor in um, being able to have been fortunate enough to have the career that I have. But the trick with luck is to recognise when an opportunity comes along and just go for it every single time. But mixed in with that was also being fortunate enough to work with people who recognised that I had some raw talent and I, I had some really significant people along the course of my career right up until now who believed in me and there's nothing quite like having someone believe in you quite often at times when you don't yet believe in yourself and mm. so it, it can become a case of first of all when an opportunity comes along it's it's also often been a big challenge and 
the thing when someone believes in you, you think, look, I don't think I can do this, but that person over there staring at me thinks I can and I just don't want to let them down. Um, so all of those things combine or have combined for me to make me kind of go, look, I'm going to give this a go. I don't know if it's going to work. I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't work, but what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, right throughout my life, and it really began, you know, in my childhood in, in Campbelltown in Sydney, you know, when you come from a place like Campbelltown, you have no illusions about what life is. Like, you know you won't get anywhere without hard work. You know no one's going to give you a leg up or that there's an old school tie that's going to get you a job because someone knows someone. Hard work is the only way that you will get there. And when you do have those lucky moments, if you combine that with hard work, it's amazing how often the next round of luck will come your way. So, you know, it's about layering as well. Oh, it's, it's so well put. It's such a great attitude towards it all. Um, and then speaking of, you know, that when you were so young getting into the career that you did, like Laura touched on, what initially brought you down the kind of media career path? There was a lot of factors, actually. I always used to love watching current affairs programs like Four Corners. There used to be a show called This Day Tonight, which was almost like if you were to take a show like A Current Affair, um, so that time slot, that seven o'clock half hour time slot, there was a show called Willacy and another show on the ABC called This Day Tonight. They always had male hosts, of course, but I was just really attracted in finding out about the world through the news. And again, growing up in Campbelltown, I, I lived such a small sheltered life and I was always curious about the wider world. So there was that. I also had some very significant English teachers um, who helped me grow my love, my simple love of the English language and introduced me to writers and poets that gave me an appreciation of, of the written word and, and the magic of that and how that can stir things inside you. And I did grow up like every other girl my age in the 70s reading Dolly magazine and by pure happenstance. So I wanted to travel the world before I got into journalism because I thought I've lived such a small life and I don't know that I, I have no stories to tell. I have no perspective on the wider world. So I'm going to travel the world and then I'm going to come back to Australia and I'm going to knuckle down and I'm going to have so much to offer because I will have lived such a big life overseas. And bizarrely, I decided to, I had to save up because I had no money. My parents didn't have any money to, to go and travel. So I had to work for a couple of years. So I thought I'll get shorthand in typing because you needed that for journalism back in the day. And I'll work really hard as a secretary somewhere or maybe on the on the outskirts of journalism so I can get a sense of what it what it's all like. And on the very first day that I looked for a job after I had my certificate in advanced secretarial studies from the Metropolitan <laughs> Business College, I saw a tiny three-line ad in the women and girls employment section of the Sydney Morning Herald, which they, you know, they used to split into gender at the time. And the ad read, Dolly Magazine is looking for a secretary stroke editorial assistant stroke girl Friday who is prepared to do absolutely anything. Phone Kathy on 699-3622. And I did. Mm -hmm. And somehow I got the job. And under my bed on that day was seven years worth of very dusty back copies of the magazine because I had loved it so much and it had been so, so instrumental in my teenage years in helping me through all the angst that we girls all go through in our teenage years and always offered such great advice that I walked into this office that there was a 55-year-old editor running the magazine at that time and she was spending all of her time trying to tell a bunch of 45-year-old journalists how to write about a 15-year-old's first kiss. Yes. Um, and it's amazing to me how so not old those women sound to me these days. But 
they were very out of touch with the readership. So I was like this instant market research for them, having so recently been a reader. And I kind of, I had ideas about how they could do things a little better. And they encouraged me to tell them. And the more they encouraged me, the more I told them. And six months after I started, the 55-year-old editor left to go to Woman's Day, which was probably more appropriate. (laughs) And I sort of shifted up the ranks. And 18 months after that, just about the time I thought I might finally get to go on my backpacking trip through Europe with my girlfriends, the new editor um, decided that she was now going on a big backpacking trip (laughs) overseas herself. And I remember looking at her and saying, so who's going to be the new editor? Because I had a really good relationship with this woman. And I can still remember the silence bouncing off the walls when she just looked at me and smiled. Like, I was 21. Uh, So I was thrust into this position so quickly. And the good thing about that is that it all happened so quickly that nobody had actually got around to teaching me any of the rules of being an editor so I wrote a few of my own and probably broke plenty so (laughs) I I was I don't know why but and maybe again it's this Campbelltown thing I just I felt courageous I felt a huge responsibility but you know I was now looking after the female teenage population of, of, of women in this country and knowing how important that role was. And I, I just figured I could tweak things a little bit to make sure that young women were feeling more empowered, you know, beyond lipstick and, and the latest top from Q. And the readers just responded in a way that I never could have imagined, but also the way that I hoped they would, that if I treated them as intelligent, empowered human beings of no particular gender um, that, that they would love being, being treated with such respect, and, and they really did. And it meant we still have, had lots of fun, but, you know, it was, um, it was a beautiful time in my career. I loved every moment of it, and I loved being part of a team. Oh, and you had such incredible success. I mean, the the fact that you tripled the readership in four years while you were there as, you know, a 21-year-old that didn't know all the rules and you, you kind of made it up as you went is so admirable. And we wanted to ask, what do you think it is about you that has enabled your success? I remember maybe it was about four years ago, I was on a panel that you were on for a vitamin company. And I remember sitting, I wasn't sitting next to you, I think I was two seats down, And I could feel your presence the whole entire time, just the way that that you articulate yourself and you inspire people. And while you were talking, every single person in that room, including myself, and then when I got asked a question on the panel, I was like, oh, I was so into what Lisa was saying. (laughs) I've lost what I was going to say. But what, yeah, what do you think it is about you that's enabled you to be this ceiling breaker and just have so many firsts for women in your career? I think, I think it comes from a place of gratitude. To this day, I still pinch myself that I've been afforded opportunities and situations and challenges where I still test myself every day. I still, I've always had the attitude of one day someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, you're having too much fun. And it's time to go now. <laughs> like I, to go. I, just, I live with that because I think it keeps you honest. Yeah. You know, that feeling of don't take anything for granted because it can be taken away in a heartbeat. Your health can be taken away in a heartbeat. And, I mean, as it happened at Channel 9, that opportunity got taken away from me unexpectedly. And and unless you you live with that feeling of gratitude that, you know, it's... um. And particularly as a journalist, I feel an incredible responsibility that you have this chance to speak to a lot of people on very powerful platforms. And I've never wanted to squander that opportunity. And I've always wanted to do something with it because there's this weird 
thing that kind of happened to me halfway through my career because I was so happy in magazines. You know, I just thought if anyone knew how much fun this was, everybody would want to do this. We'd have no nurses. We'd have no teachers. You know, we'd have none of the really important um, people to the running of this world. Everyone would want to be a journalist. So I, I always wanted to do something with this job that meant something. Um, but, but what happened to me halfway through my career was I went from magazines where, you know, I, I had runs on the board. I knew I had a talent in that area. And I'd taken a break because I was pregnant with our second child. And I just thought I've, I've been at Clio for 10 years. I've got more runs on the board than I ever thought I could have in this role. And I just want to take some time out to be a mum. I've worked so hard for so long. I've saved really hard. I can afford to take a year off. And also when you've been somewhere for 10 years, you do sort of feel like you're hogging a pretty special job. And maybe it was time to pass on the baton to the next generation of young up-and-coming editors. Like, get the hell out of the way, Wilkinson. <laughs> and, um, and I had a great team that I built up around me. And there were lots of women, you know, including a woman like Mia Friedman, who I'd trained up from, from a work experience girl at the age of 20 when she wrote me a letter and said, please, 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 I want to come and work for you. So, you know, I didn't want to be in the way of that next generation. And out of a clear blue sky, I got a call from a guy called Brian Walsh, who just started up the first pay TV service in Australia, Foxtel. And I'd known Brian for years. He used to work in PR. And he said, I'm starting up a show, um, you know, that's been running on Australian TV on and off over the last 40 years. It's called Beauty and the Beast. And it's totally unscripted. And it's a bunch of women sitting around with one guy. He reads out letters from viewers and four women get to have their say totally unscripted diverse range of women I said Brian you don't need to tell me anymore I grew up watching this show because my mum loved it and he said to me um he said oh you probably want to know who the guy's going to be um he's a guy called Stan Zamanik and I said oh I've never heard of him and he said, you ever listen to late night radio on 2UE in Sydney? And I said, oh, not that right wing shock jock. And he said, yeah, yeah, that's him. And I said, oh, Brian, look, I really appreciate you asking me, but I think you'll find that his views and mine are probably diametrically op opposed. And he said, Lisa, why the hell do you think I'm asking you? <laughs> <laughs> so his encouragement was for me to be completely myself. The series was meant to run for six weeks and that would be it. And I thought, look, I'm on maternity leave. We're going to record five shows in one day. I've been interviewed lots of times on radio and TV, but I've never stared down the barrel of a camera and tried to pretend in the middle of that big black chasm of a hole that is a camera lens that there's actually a person there that I'm talking to. I'm probably going to be terrible at this, but what the hell? What do I care? I'll give it a go. I'm on maternity leave. You know, I'll 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 see what happens. Anyway, turned up on the first day, and there, sure enough, was Stan Zamanik, who turned out to be a complete pussy cat. But he also had never sat in a studio and looked down the barrel of a camera, and and done all of that. But in the studio with me were people like Ida Buttrose, icon of the media, Jeannie Little. The, the late departed now, Jeannie Little, she was the, she had a gold logie. She was the biggest thing on television for women in the 70s and into the 80s. And another lovely woman called Maureen Duval, who was a Miss Australia who had a morning show. So we are talking three women who between them probably had about 423 years worth of on-camera experience. And I had that and Stan had that. Brian walked onto the studio floor and said, how are you all going? And, of course, the other three just started chattering away. And Stan and I said nothing. And he walked over to us and said, what the hell's wrong with you two? And Stan and I looked at each other and said, Brian, 
you've forgotten. We've never done this before. And he said, and I'll let you guys bleep this out. He said, oh, for sake, get over yourself. It's only television. And it was the best advice I could have ever got because that's all it is. It's only television. You're not curing cancer. It doesn't matter how you look. It's, It's about, in this format, sharing what's in your heart and totally being yourself because that camera is like a microscope on you. And if you're not being yourself, the audience will pick it up in a heartbeat. So I have taken that advice into TV studios for the last two decades because I came to fame late. I had seen fame from a distance And then when you get into the TV industry, you can also see what fame does to people when that's all they've ever pursued. And it really plays with people's heads. So I always came with the attitude of, A, it's only television, and B, I've already got a skill that I can fall back on. So even though I've always taken my role as a journalist incredibly seriously, you know, there is something a bit frou-frou about television. And it's, for me, it's always been about the work, about the stories that I can help tell, about how I can empower other people and their important stories. And I've also, even though my role in this podcast is to talk a lot, I've always been fascinated by other people's stories. And I, I, I heard something when I first got into journalism that I've carried with me ever since, and that is... If you're doing all the talking, you're not doing any of the listening. And so when I'm interviewing people, I am, because I reckon everybody's got a story. And if you want to bring out the best in people, whether you're in front of a camera or, you know, people you, you meet in the everyday, your family, your friends, your work colleagues, if you're doing all the talking, you're not doing any of the listening. You're not getting to know those people that, that are important to you. So all of those things, I think, have com- combined to give me a perspective on fame that have given me a survival instinct within it because it's only television. One, two, three, four. Oh, I love that. And I think, I mean, you shared some real, what we like to call gold golden nuggets of advice just then, Lisa. But I would love to know, I mean, we've got quite a lot of young listener, uh, listeners as well who tune in. And for anyone starting out in their career, outside of what you just shared then, because they were awesome, is there anything else that you would say to them for, for anyone starting out? Um, you're going to spend a lot of your life working. Um, more than that, you're going to spend probably more of your waking hours working than just about anything else. Um, so my, my best career advice is to find your passion. Like if you're going to do something, let's say roughly five days a week out of seven, uh, and you're going to spend your life, your working life doing that, Try really hard if you can to find your passion because then it won't feel like work. Um, And, you know, if it can be something that is stimulating and that you feel like there's a purpose to what you're doing, it does make it so much easier. And I know all the headlines that surround me, but it means that the pay packet matters less. Like I'm all about closing the gender pay gap But if you can do something every day where you feel like at the end of the day, gee, it was good to be at work today and gee, I got something out of that, it's amazing how much lighter your load in getting through life can be. Oh, I would agree with that. I feel like we're going to be like that today. We're going to be like, gee, how lucky were we today? This is the best (laughs) after this conversation. Here's the other tip for anyone who wants to get into journalism, do your homework. Like, just make sure every time you approach any interview, any situation where you're hoping to impart and explain something to, to a wider audience, 
do your homework. So when you go in there, you're armed for every possible situation, but also with, with an openness to learning. So you can learn for your audience as well. Oh, that's such good advice. And it ties so well into what I wanted to ask you around something you said on the No Filter podcast with Mia, which I highly recommend. I'm sure everyone listening to this has probably already consumed every piece of content from you ever <laughs> like enough. we have. But um, what you said on that podcast about TV and, and work is to approach every day like it is your last. And I think that is such fantastic advice. And I've clung on to that ever since you said it. But one thing I wanted to ask you about with that and something that I find I do myself is I do approach a lot of my work that way or everything that I can but sometimes I feel that means that the pressure that I put on myself to be the best in everything that I do and and sometimes you, you can't because you don't have you know for an interview for example you could prepare for seven days or you could prepare for one um and I suppose you could always do more and that's what I struggle with so I wanted to ask you how do you navigate that of you know treating every day like it's your last opportunity to be on tv or whatever it might be but then not put so much pressure on yourself that you become a critic of of who you are yeah, that's, that's a big question and there's about five different ways I can answer that. But <laughs> I think I've always approached, like if I was to look back over my life, if I'd been like that 19-year-old receptionist and somebody had said to me, so these are the jobs that you're going to have across your life. Um, these are the situations you're going to find yourself in. Um, what do you think about that? I would say I'm going back to bed now. (laughs) I don't want to do all of those things because that terrifies me. So what I've always done, particularly in situations where I feel a lot of of pressure, and that happens most days, um, I always approach everything in life, my personal life, my, my professional life, Anything that feels like a challenge, I do everything in bite-sized chunks. For example, the writing of my book. I never planned to write my autobiography. I'm married to the best-selling non-fiction author in the country. I see how hard he works, but more annoyingly than that, I see how easily he puts down on the page the most beautiful prose. And I'm a great editor, I know that. And I can always tell a writer, once they've written something for me, if it needs a tweak, exactly how I need the tweak done. But the actual writing has always terrified me. And the biggest job I ever had in putting words down on a page was being asked to do the Andrew Ollie uh, media lecture back in 2013. I was only the second female journalist in the country in 16 years to be asked to do that lecture and the one who'd done it 16 years before me was Yana Bent like hey no pressure (laughs) and I had to write 6,000 words and stand up on a stage and deliver that to the most critical audience a journalist can ever stand in front of And that is hundreds and hundreds of other journalists. So I spent six months writing that. I got up on that stage, terrified as I was, and I delivered those words. And the best thing about being asked to do the Andrew Ollie Media Lecture is knowing that once you've done it, you will never be asked to do it again. (laughs) Uh, But the problem was I was then approached by publishers who'd heard the speech wanting me to write my autobiography. And I didn't know how I was going to do it, but it was one of those challenges where I thought, I just, I can't say no to this. It's like I will feel like a loser if I'm too scared to not write this. And truth is, my husband was the one that really encouraged me and he said, I'll help you. Don't worry, it'll be fine. You know, we'll, I'll go and interview you. I'll transcribe the tapes. I'll put down some words for you. You then come in over the top, you spit, I polish, and hey, presto, we've got an autobiography. No problem. Mm-hmm. And and the deal, so I eventually signed the, the contract 
And the deal was that I wasn't going to deliver the manuscript because I knew it was going to take me years, given if you did the maths on how long it took me to write the Andrew Wally lecture. And I said, I won't deliver this until after I get off breakfast TV. And hey, who knew when that was going to be? <laughs> Turned out a little sooner than I was planning. But um, Pete basically lost the tapes. There's no other way of putting it after we'd done hours and hours and hours of tapes. And he was busy writing his own books. And I thought, I am going to spend the rest of my marriage coming to him cap in hand saying, please, can you help me? I can't write. I need you now. And I figured that is not good for any marriage because I would then cash in every marital bargaining chip going. So... In between, you know, on, on plane flights, in backs of taxis, every spare minute I had, I just thought all I can do is just start writing down a few anecdotes. And so I thought I'll write about that time that I put that completely unknown 15-year-old corkscrew curled redhead aspiring actor called Nicole Kidman on the cover of Dolly. And then I should write about how awful it was to be bullied at high school and how much I wanted to just disappear between the cracks. And then I'll write about what it felt like finding that three-line ad in the women and girls employment section and, and what it was like when I got the job at the age of 21 and the pressure I felt. And then I'll write about the heartbreak of losing my beautiful guiding star, my dad, to cancer three weeks after he was diagnosed. And then I'll write about being a guest on the Today Show and a week after Dad died, meeting a wallaby called Peter Fitzsimons. And my father was a passionate rugby man. He ran Sydney Rugby Union. And Pete heard my last name when we were introduced and he said to me, you're not Ray Wilkinson's father, are you? And how I had to hold back tears while he was still shaking my hand. Um, I had to write about having three miscarriages um if i was going to talk about the joy of motherhood i also had to talk about the heartbreak of motherhood as well and i had to talk about what it felt like getting a phone call standing in aisle six of woolies holding a can of tuna and being told that i'd just been sacked from the today show so there was just this enormous list of anecdotes that i thought i can't write a book but I can just write each of those anecdotes. And at some point in the future, I'll give them to Pete. And in some sort of magical authory kind of way, he'll be able to put them into a book. Anyway, the more I wrote, the more I realised that there was only one person that could write my book and tell my story. And that was me. So I just kept writing. And while it took me six months to write 6,000 words for the Andrew Ollie lecture, I got to the end of the writing and I'd written 186,000 words. <laughs> Who knew I could talk so much? <laughs> I mean, it so, was... Yeah, at the very end, Pete did come in and <laughs> in a very husband kind of way, he actually took 16,000 words off the manuscript, uh, which is possibly his revenge when he realised that I didn't need him at all to write the book. <laughs> No, it's just incredible to hear that, Lisa. And I think I'm sure as you were reflecting on your life and your experiences, there would have been this immense proud, proud feeling that came over you with a lot of what you what you wrote to. And I think what would be really interesting to hear from you when you did look you know, back on your whole entire experience up until now and what you're still doing to this day. I mean, I'm really interested to know when it comes to things like self-doubt or confidence um often you know it might be due to the fact that we fall into a bit of a comparison trap where we might be comparing you know our chapter one to someone's chapter 20 they might be a lot more experienced in whatever we're comparing it to but somehow we still fall into that trap when you were writing your book and reflecting on all this success that you've had did it kind of make you reflect back to those moments where you might have had those moments of self-doubt and realize like hang on, really just taking the bull by its horns and, and getting into things is, is the way to go. And what would you say to someone, I suppose, who is struggling with self-doubt and comparing their life and their their chapter now to someone who, who might have 
done it years before them and, and had a lot more experience? I think competition is one of the greatest enemies of women. Because um, I've been given such an incredible opportunity at such a young age. I, I always struggled with that because I, I always, as far as I was concerned, anyone who'd seen that three-line ad who, you know, maybe wanted to get into journalism and had read Dolly could have done what I did. So why did that opportunity come my way? And the only way I could make peace with it was to make sure that I paid it forward, that whenever I came across young women who had that same sparkle in their eye as I knew I did, that I got to encourage that. Because when you know that joy of being supported and, and somebody believe in you, you want other people to experience that joy as well. So the greatest satisfaction for me over the course of my career has been being able to help other young journalists, other young women um, know their great success as well. Because, you know, it's, it's like kids. There's no greater joy than being able to teach them how to fly and then you stand back and you push them out of the nest and, you know, the pride is like no other feeling on earth. So there's always going to be somebody prettier or slimmer or younger or more talented or any of those things, but we all only get one life, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's the diversity of who we all are that is the joy. And it, I mean, if there's one thing I mourn about what social media has done for a lot of young women is for them to think that there's this one kind of cookie cutter version of what success and beauty and living a life should look like. Where I find that more and more as, as that version of beauty and success narrows, the more interested I am in diversity and hearing different stories and celebrating different kinds of joy and talents and and all of that and you know if you want to disappear down that rabbit hole of comparison i i don't know that there's much sunshine down that rabbit hole um the sunshine is lifting up your head not always looking down at your phone noticing the world around you seeing the opportunities because if you're looking down all the time the opportunities will pass you by and the thing is, I know it's a cliche, but you do you. Find out what the best version of you with all of your uniqueness. Um, because we never know our talents unless we try lots of different things. And that's when you find that other people are attracted to you and, and want to share in your talents. And when things get scary, I'll, I'll give you an anecdote. And it, gee, it was an eye-opener to me. And I realised that I'd been doing this but I've never heard it more perfectly put than um, Pete and I went to Auckland to interview the great Sir Edmund Tillery the man who was the first person to ever climb Mount Everest I mean you want to talk about a challenge mm -hmm. and an achievement I don't know that it gets much bigger than that <laughs> um, and in fact Pete got the interview uh, but I was very fortunate enough um, to be granted a seat in Sir Edmund's uh, study overlooking Auckland Harbour in, in his own home. And it wasn't long before he passed away and Pete was asking him to tell the story of, you know, what it was like climbing Mount Everest on those last days. And, and he got to the point where it was the afternoon before he roughly thought he'd got really close to the peak, but he knew he didn't have enough daylight hours left to get to the top. And the weather was starting to close in. So he went to sleep that night with his Sherpa Tenzing Norgay. And when they woke in the morning, they were horrified to see that they had an almost impossible um, number of metres left to go. And he really wasn't sure that he was going to get to the top in time. And they knew that some really bad weather was coming. 
that would probably mean they would never make it back down again. And Pete said to him, so what do you do when, when you see a challenge like that that looks completely impossible? And he said, well, it's true. I, I knew it was impossible for us to get to the top of Mount Everest that day. So I couldn't concentrate on the impossible. I had to concentrate on the possible. And what I knew was possible was that I could put my left foot in front of my right foot and then my right foot in front of my left foot. And sure enough, later that day, he was standing on the top of Mount Everest. And I thought, (laughs) I know, it's goosebump type stuff. And it's when when we concentrate too much on the things that we think, God, I can never do that. Like, that terrifies me. That's... No human's ever done that before and I'm not going to be the first, then that won't ever happen for you. But if you think about the small little bite-sized chunks that you can deal with that you know will get you to the next three minutes or get you through the next half hour and then you concentrate on that challenge in half an hour's time, I reckon you'll surprise yourself. Wow, it's such powerful advice. I can't wait to listen back to this and write like 10 times <laughs> and write everything down. And I think for so many of our incredible community members listening, they'll feel exactly the same because I think self-doubt in comparison is something so many people get stuck in and it's so hard to get out when you're in it. We wanted to touch on something that you have touched on being in the Tuna Isle in, in Woolworths when you got the call about the, the Today Show. And I firstly wanted to say thank you for how open you were and generous with sharing your story. I think for Steph and I, as two women, you know, emerging in in the media landscape in in Australia, it's to, to hear you speak about something that, you know, I think if I was in it, I would have seen it as not a failure, but something that you didn't expect. But then to take your power back. And, you know, be doing the role that that you are now on the project, which you've just made such a positive impact on that show. And it's such a great show. And and the journalism that you're doing now with the longer piece stories, um, which I know I've heard you speak about, you're passionate about. How how did that feel? And how did you go from that moment to, you know, taking the role with Channel 10 and taking that power back? Um, I... Again, I just had to concentrate on the possible um, because I well, there was no going back. I'd been sacked. There was absolutely nothing I could do about it. Uh, it was out of my control. And if I tried in any way to um, wrestle that back, that wasn't possible. But I was in an incredibly fortunate position, which no one knew at the time that I had this offer from Channel 10 that had been sitting there waiting for me to make a decision on for the best part of a month. And so I just did that thing. First of all, I had to compute what had just happened because I loved the Today Show. You know, doing that job was such a privilege and there is something quite special about Breakfast TV and I was so proud of you know, the fact that we had taken the show to number one in the Breakfast TV Wars in 2016 and, you know, that was our Everest, which everyone, you know, when I started in 2007, Sunrise had twice the the ratings of the Today Show and the Today Show was going through a tough time. But, you know, I just, from that, from that first day that I was on set and I'd actually lost my voice, which was probably some kind of, Freudian thing somewhere deep in my psyche which is you're too scared to do this job so you've now lost your voice so you can't do this job but I still turned up and squeaked my way through that first show and um, there were plenty of moments of self-doubt early on Um, in fact on day three I saw an email come in from somebody saying some pretty nasty things about you know, why is she on there? She's a woman, because I'd been at Sunrise for three years before that. She's from Sunrise. We hate Sunrise. Get rid of her. And it was, I saw it right there sitting at the desk in a commercial break. And Carl was really kind to me because he, he must have seen me slump or something. And he said, um, are you okay, Dal? 
And I said, oh, no, look at look at that email. Just, you know, maybe I'm just not meant to be here. And he was so encouraging and he grabbed my hand and, you know, he'd had five female co-hosts before I sat in that chair. So he was going through a tough time himself. And he said, Dal, all we can do is concentrate on us and getting our chemistry right and doing good work and the rest of it will come if we get this right. But for now, we don't, we don't look at that stuff. We just concentrate on doing our job, which was great advice from him, and we did. And within that first year, we had one day that we had won the ratings. <laughs> but by 2016, we had won. So, you know, I interviewed six different Australian prime ministers in that role. Yes, the 3 a.m. alarm was very painful, <laughs> and the first word I said most days when that alarm went off was, oh, shit. Um, but once I got in the shower and put the radio on and started thinking, I was wide awake by the time I was on air. Um, so when you put that much of yourself, 17 and a half hours a week, sitting in front of that big black hole of a camera, you know that you've put a lot into a job. So to have it suddenly taken away was, it was a kick in the guts, there's no question. But I just thought, this is the universe nudging me in another direction. And I just thought, I've been struggling with whether I stay with the Today Show or do I move over to the project. But the decision was kind of taken out of my hands and I just thought, I'm going to go with the universe. It's decided what's right for me. And, you know, I've been here at the project now for four and a half years and it has been the greatest joy. I mean, I never would have done uh, the Brittany Higgins interview and the work that I've continued to do with Brittany ever since and all the work around survivors of sexual assault and helping to change things in workplace culture um, across all workplaces, not just Parliament House. So... You know, I've been able to pursue some areas of journalism that, you know, are, are the most important work that I've done in my career. So, you know, I, I, the reason I talk about it happening in aisle six at Woolies holding a can of tuna is, you know, I'm a mum of three. I do the shopping. But I also mm -hmm. have this bizarre um, sort of, I don't know what you call it, level of fame or whatever it is. And quite often that's all people see and I understand that. But that's not who I am. I'm, I'm a woman who gets sacked from a job. I'm a woman who then has to get on with doing the shopping and making dinner and just taking and making the best of mm -hmm. the situation that I'm in and hope, keeping my fingers crossed and just, you know, jumping out of my comfort zone and just going for it. And I want to keep doing that because the older I get, the older I want to get. And the more I want to keep challenging myself. Um, and as the beautiful, now late actor Sydney Poitier says, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. That's a good one. Oh, it's the best. It's so good. And I feel like my, I mean, my cheeks are literally sore from smiling through hearing you speak today, Lisa. It's been so incredible. And I think to, to wrap things up, we really want to touch on, you know, an incredible uh, campaign that you're a part of this year being the Witchery White Shirt campaign in support of Ovarian Cancer Research Foundation. It's a it's a campaign that Laura and I love to support. It's such an important cause, of course. But as someone, you know, as you tried to humbly touch on then with the level of fame that you have, you, of course, would get approached by so many different charities and foundations. So why was this one important for you to be a part of? Mostly because... Look, it's a great campaign that's been going on for many years and there is so little funding when it comes to ovarian cancer research. A lot of women get confused thinking that if they have their regular pap smear, that that will pick up the early signs of ovarian cancer. It doesn't. That picks up the early signs of cervical cancer. Um, ovarian cancer is an incredibly insidious disease that so often the symptoms are just the sort of symptoms that we have when we've got our period or, you know, we're just being female. It's things like um, bloating and 
maybe stomach cramps and feeling tired, like most days, (laughs) (laughs) constipation, you know, things that just can so often make you think you're experiencing something else. And the sad truth is that one Australian woman dies every eight hours from ovarian cancer. And there is so little funding. And simply by buying a white shirt from Witchery, and who doesn't need, you know, a white shirt yeah. in the wardrobe, um, all of those funds go towards this incredibly important uh, research that needs to be done. When you see the wonderful work that's been done over the last 20, 25 years um, in the area of breast cancer, you know, all of those funds have meant that the survival rate and the ability for early detection of breast cancer mean that, you know, so many women are now walking this earth because of the funds that were put Mm -hmm. aside and meant that scientists can do what scientists do so well, which is work out how we fix this thing. And we we need this to happen for ovarian cancer as well. It's so horribly underfunded by the government. You know, we need to kick their backsides into gear as well. And we need to make as much noise as we can and raise as many dollars as we possibly can. I love it. Thank you, Lisa. And I think as well with this year's white shirt, it is very stylish. (laughs) It's a really good one. So (laughs) even, even more. Um, He's a great Australian fashion designer. He, um, He designed it and he nailed it. Even more reason to support the campaign. And we just wanted to say the biggest thank you for your time. It's so funny. I'm having this overwhelming feeling right now where I keep getting teary oh God, while you're talking. I think I just snotted. And it's the same feeling. <laughs> Can I just, I'll finish with this. One of the reasons that I did write the book is, or, or I should say, in writing the book, I'm sure that my publisher, HarperCollins, thought they were going to get themselves a celebrity memoir. And while I can throw around plenty of names in the book, um, you know, from, you know, not long after I joined the project, my boss called me and said, Lisa, I'm sending you on a very quick trip around the world. Um, first stop will be London to interview David Beckham and then you're going to New York to sit down with Bradley Cooper and then you'll come back via LA to sit down with John Bon Jovi. Um, And if you're wondering which one of those three was my favourite, I confess in the book which one was my favourite and it was not who I was expecting at all. And I have to say when I told my single girlfriends that I was doing that trip and I was actually, that was work for me, they all said, that is such a waste on a married woman. But girls, I've got to tell you, I did not waste it at all. But, you know, I had lots of celebrity names and, you know, what it's like interviewing Kim Kardashian, which I have to tell you, the weird thing about Kim, every time I interview her, when she walks into a room, there is immediately a three-metre exclusion zone. And outside that that zone is chaos and fear and inside is this weird kind of Kim calm she's like she's like a human spa and she (laughs) smells like your favorite scented candle so like I said lots of celebrity names and they're all in there but the more I wrote the more I realized that my book was about an evolution that so many Australian women particularly of my age have gone through the change that I have seen for women And coming from incredibly humble beginnings and keeping that perspective right throughout my life because the feedback I'm getting from so many women is that having read my story, they have seen so much of their own story in in the book. And as I take people on the journey through losing my dad, who, sorry, I'm going to get teary, who I dedicated the book to and then... um, Right towards the end, just after I left the project, I lost my mum. And we all have heartbreak in our lives and I've included all of the heartbreak in there and is in a, in a more honest way than I was ever even planning to include. So it is my life in all its messy glory, with all of its joys and all of its disappointments and all of the lessons that I've learnt. And what I hope in 
in people reading the book is that it gives them strength on their own journey and that they can feel themselves in the book as well. Uh, now we both can't talk and I just blew my nose on my dress. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, and Lisa, that's how I felt reading it. It is a beautiful, beautiful story. And I just felt, I felt overcome while I was reading it with just so much gratitude for you in your generosity in sharing every single thing that you did in that, in that book. So for everyone listening, we highly recommend it. Um, and thank you very much for your time. We, yeah, we appreciate it so much. <laughs> I'm feeling a lot of gratitude right now and I'm feeling very snotty. <laughs> thank you both so much. I really enjoyed chatting. I want to say, well, we hope you enjoyed that episode, but I you feel did. like you absolutely <laughs> would have. So we will pop links in our show notes for um, the Witchery White Shirt campaign, which is the campaign that, of course, Lisa is supporting this year, and also a link to purchase her incredible book, which I cannot wait to read and was Lawsy's special share at the start. Now, if you'd like to hear more about Kick or sign up and enjoy a seven-day free trial, you can head to our website, www.keepercleaner.com. We're also on the Apple Store and Google Play. You can have a seven-day free trial there too. And just a reminder, we're in the middle of our Meditate in May challenge, so if you're looking for some zen, sign up and give it a crack. Middle or start? Middle. Start. Start. It's the middle of the week <laughs> of this first week. It's the first week, so you can join now. It's not too late. Never too late to join. And you can also find us on social media at Keep It Cleaner, at Laura.Henshaw and at Steph Claire Smith. But we'll be back in your ears next Wednesday with another Kick Quite episode. Bye. Bye.